Welcome to episode 1833 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined as always by Meg Raleigh of Fangraphs. Hello, Meg. Hello. And we are bringing in the closer for the final division preview series of 2022. Emma Bachelary of Sports Illustrated is with us to discuss the NL East. Hey, Emma, how are you? I am good. Thank you for having me. This is a momentous day for all of us, I think, because it marks the end of positional power rankings for Meg. She has finished ranking all of the positions, as I understand it, and it marks the end of our division preview series, and it also marks the end of March Madness for Emma. You've been covering that for the past few weeks, so we have all gotten something big behind us or we're about to when this episode is over and that means that baseball is right around the corner (laughs) and next time we talk on this podcast we'll be probably discussing actual major league baseball games which is something that's nice to contemplate given how much had to happen for that to happen (laughs) and how unlikely it seemed to happen at certain points so i'm in a good mood today yeah I mean, I still have to write my uh, positional power ranking summary piece. So if you want to figure out the exact wrong time for Michael Conforto to sign, it's any time between now and tomorrow morning. (laughs) But barring that, I think that we are in good shape here. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to like have a season to talk about. Won't it be nice to have a season? I think it will. Yeah. Emma, how does covering March Madness compare to covering April baseball? (laughs) It's like the most intense, consequential tournament time and then mostly meaningless baseball or at least not meaningless in the long run necessarily, but hard to tell what the meaning is beyond just the happiness that MLB is back. It's a very nice change of pace. I'm I'm happy with the way it worked out with the the lockout delay and that, you know, it's like two days of downtime and then uh, get to go from <laughs> once I've fully recovered from everything I saw over the last two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, some, well, I was about to say some really meaningless baseball because I will be at Nationals Park for opening day. But given that, <laughs> that'll be against the Mets and starter to be determined, uh, perhaps not so meaningless. I think it'll at least be interesting. But um, yeah. How appropriate for our preview today. Exactly. Well, I know that your March Madness was difficult in some respects, as you are a Duke alum. <laughs> but, <laughs> but aside from that, I hope it was satisfying and fun professionally. I don't know how often you've done this before. You, unlike us, cover other sports fairly regularly, and we've talked to you a bit about that in the past. But yeah, this is a, an intense time <laughs> in yes. college basketball. Something that was fun about this was I was covering the the women's final four. So I was in Minneapolis Mm -hmm. and that meant I had an off day on the day that Duke played and lost to Carolina. And I watched it in a, it was a pretty small bar. There weren't a lot of other people in there, but Gino Ariyama and his family were there, the the UConn women's head coach. And it was a very weird experience to like not want to be too emotional and vocal, realizing that the coach who would be in the women's championship the next day was like three seats down the bar from me. And it just, <laughs> I mean, neither of us had a good weekend. Uh, so yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's very weird. <laughs> so I guess the only thing that we have to briefly discuss maybe before we get to the NL East is a trade that was made immediately after we finished our AL preview segment, of course, and it was by an AL team, the Rays, who traded Austin Meadows to the Tigers 
for Isaac Paredes, the infielder and a competitive balance round pick. So I know Ben Clemens has written about this for Fangraphs, and I guess my opinion of it has evolved after the initial, they traded who for who? That's like a more established guy who's hit a bunch of homers and Isaac Paredes is not. And I guess as is pretty typical with raise moves, there is always a method to it of some sort. Yeah. And you can sort of understand what they're doing. I mean, we talked on the AL preview episode about their wealth of young infielders. And so now they've added yet another one in Paredes. And so it might sound sort of strange, although they just immediately replaced Meadows with Josh Lowe, not Lau Lowe. <laughs> so they just have another top prospect basically at every position. So they jettison someone and then they bring in someone who is maybe just as good, if not as well known. Yeah, I think that you can't uh, you can't view this trade in isolation. It has to be taken in conjunction with the decision to put low on the opening day roster. I Ben, I'm just I'm sorry for you that you now are going to spend at least two seconds before you say either Josh Lowe's name or Brandon Lau's name. Just thinking which which is it because uh, yes. you know the, this team just likes to make things difficult for you. Well, at least they made things easier by trading Nathaniel Lowe. Which, I mean, that would have been the, the low-pocalypse, the low-pocalypse, if they had had all three on the same roster. Yes. So I think we have to kind of take all of those things in concert and and use that to assess this. Low was ranked 45th for us on our uh, preseason top 100. So they are putting a well-regarded prospect into, into the mix here. I think that as we were getting ready to record, they also announced an extension for Manny Margot. So I think they have a view of the outfield that is is sort of coming together. I don't want to make light of the fact that there is like a very razy part of this, right? Which is that, you know, Austin Meadows was preparing to get a little bit more expensive, but he's also been sort of inconsistent from time to time in terms of his performance. I know that there have been some sort of aspects of that that are less in his control um, from an injury perspective. There also seem to have been occasionally conditioning issues there. So like, I, I think that this is a raise trade, but it is a raise trade that is being made in service of getting better for the raise. And from Detroit's perspective, this makes a tremendous amount of sense. You know, I think mm-hmm. that Meadows will will shift into sort of their A team from an outfield perspective. And then, you know, when they are able to actually bring the full force of their prospects to bear, they'll be in pretty good shape here. We should remember that Riley Green got hurt and like has a broken foot. And so he will not make the opening day roster in Detroit, not because they want to keep him down, but because he is injured. And so like this gives them insurance in the meantime, and then a much stronger outfield once Green is fully operational again. So I like this. And like we had already done the outfield rankings. So it's fine. I don't care. You go nuts. Everyone has to stop for 24 hours now. I said that yesterday about starting pitchers. And then the White Sox were like, what if we added one Johnny Cueto though? So not everybody listens to me, but uh, the, the rest of you should. So that's what I have to say about that. Yeah. Ever since the famous Sam Miller trade about the Rays, love this trade for the Rays, who'd they give up and who'd they get, I have actively resisted the impulse to just be like, oh, the Rays made a trade. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And and so I uh, look for reasons why maybe it's not so good, but it's hard. They make it hard. I mean, you can criticize their not spending on players, but when they actually make transactions and they give away players and they get players, often there is a lot of logic to it. And 
I even looking at Paredes, you know, he hasn't hit in the majors for yeah. the Tigers yet, really, but he makes a lot of contact. He walks more than he strikes out. He's only 23. Like, there are clearly some promising signs there. So you can see why they would find him appealing, even though they already have Walls and Bruhan and all of these other great guys and Franco, of course. So it's going to get crowded there in the infield. It's been crowded there for a while, but they just have so much depth. And then you can look forward to low on the opening day roster. And I guess he's not a debut because he right. did technically play a couple games last season, but right. it does fit into what we were saying last time about the wealth of prospect talent that looks like it's going to be on opening day rosters between Torkelson and Rodriguez and Stephen Kwan and who am I forgetting? Bobby Someone Witt very Jr. obvious. Bobby Witt Jr. We mentioned yesterday. Made the yes. roster, yeah, like that exactly. Today. And Bryson Stott, who might come up later on this episode with the Phillies, possibly C.J. Abrams. I don't know whether that's been confirmed yet as we speak, but he's having a, a great spring. So I'm going to maybe try to look into this and see if it actually is unusual, but it seems unusual, or I don't know. Maybe I'm just in a good mood because MLB is back and I'm getting excited about all of these top prospects that we're going to see later this week. Hopefully Hunter Green was another, of yeah. course. So yeah, exciting times. It's pretty much everyone except for O'Neill Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Or the guys who were injured. Mm-hmm. So the NL East. So I guess my pitch for what makes this division interesting, maybe you could make a case that it has the highest floor of any division. Just it depends on how bad you think the Nationals are. Maybe you could say that the AL Central depending on how you think the Royals compare to the Nationals. Maybe the AL Central has a higher floor, although maybe a little less talent generally. So you do have four credible potential playoff teams here. It's probably not the case that they will all make the playoffs, which we all seem to think was fairly likely when we talked about the AL East last time. But there are at least four decent teams here and it seems like there's a good race shaping up and the worst team has Juan Soto so there's something for everyone everywhere so what's your uh, big picture take on the NL East Emma? Yeah pretty similar it's mostly I'm excited to see what we get from the Marlins as the fourth team yeah. of those four um just that I think you know they've been fun to watch for the last year two years and I think now can finally be a or at that borderline of fun versus legitimately perhaps ready to contend, which is hard in this yeah. division, as you said, but it, I think that makes it interesting. And yeah, I, I really do think it might be the highest floor in that, yes, the Nationals will be bad, probably very bad. <laughs> but if, from a like watchability level, I, I think that the mere presence of Juan Soto does a lot to make it not like Orioles bad. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, that that gives you a little more flexibility there. So yes, all yeah. in all, a you know good bunch here. And I guess every team in this division is trying to some extent. I mean, that hasn't always been the case with the Marlins, and maybe it could be more the case with the Marlins than it is, but they have put a lot of talent together, and they've at least made some efforts to spend relative to past Marlins teams, and the Nationals are bad right now, but of course they won a World Series fairly recently, and even the moves that they've made to start their rebuild, if that's what we want to call it, they seem to have targeted higher 
level players like Josiah Gray and Kiebert Ruiz, for instance. So it seems like it's anathema to them to tear down or to tank or to nut or whatever we're calling it these days and it sounds even worse when you just use that form of yeah, the word as opposed to it just really does. nutting you know I thought I thought I'll say a thing I'll I'll make a I'll do a funny and then it'll fade and that was so stupid of me of all the things I've ever said on yeah. this podcast introducing nutting in this context is just it was a bad mistake and I have regret every day too good a uh, suggestion oh, we could yeah. always go back to my original banking instead no, of tanking it doesn't make but... any sense <laughs> I still kind of like it it's just oh. not nearly as funny as your suggestion anyway that's the upside. Everyone is trying here. The Mets, bless their hearts. They are trying, certainly. We'll see whether it works. The Braves just won a World Series. The Phillies are certainly trying in their own in- inimitable way that distinguishes them from just about every team. But I am uh, getting ahead of ourselves here. So I guess we should probably start with the defending champs, right? That seems fair. You win a World Series, you get to go first in the division preview segment. So it's been an eventful offseason for Atlanta. We're going to follow the six questions that we've been asking about each team to spur some loose discussion here. So the first one is kind of a doozy for Atlanta. <laughs> Best offseason move or favorite offseason move. And if you want to do a worst favorite, you can do that too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard not to go with the uh, obvious here and bringing on Matt Olson, which it's been really fascinating to me to watch how it seems like most Braves fans have reacted to this, which was uh, moving on very quickly from the idea of Freddie Freeman feeling like kind of good riddance if, if you weren't prepared to, you know, stick around, farewell, like Matt Olson is younger. This is for the best. There's nothing else we could have hoped for, which is interesting because I'm not sure it's what my fan reaction would have been just as someone who's very sentimental. And, and I feel like I would have had more internal conflict over this. But um, yeah. I mean, it, from a like logical, practical standpoint, I think it's very hard to to argue with making Olson the first baseman of the future for the long term here. I mean, you know, he is four and a half years younger than Freddie Freeman. It makes sense to to bring in someone who you know has a ceiling at or very close to what you saw from Freeman, and like that is a, a good, exciting move. Even if I, I think I personally would have had a lot of conflicting feelings if I were a Braves fan. Yeah, I just you know I can appreciate how you don't have to do much in the way of mental gymnastics to get excited about Matt Olson. Like you can get excited about him as a player just on his own. You can get excited about him as a relatively young guy who is coming off an incredible season. You can get excited about him as like a local product, right? People yeah. people in Atlanta seem to love it when their athletes are from nearby. Like and they have a couple that they've signed this off season, right? They have Olson, they have Colin McHugh. So, you know, there you don't have to do much work to to be enthusiastic about that piece. But I agree that the, and you know, we don't want to say that everyone in the fan base is reacting the same way to this. I think there are plenty of people who, who feel yeah. like a greater effort should have been made to bring Freeman back. But it is kind of surprising that the guy who, you know, had such an incredible career with them and who was there through the very, very lean times and who they made a point of not moving during those lean times was, was moved on from so quickly. I don't know, I guess maybe like, Chipper Jones is like a, a more persuasive debater than I was anticipating. 
<laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I don't know whether winning the World Series, I mean, often it creates a kind of grace period where right. even if things don't yeah. go so great for a while, I mean, if you're a Nationals fan, maybe you're thinking, well, we're bad right now, but still, we did win that really exciting World Series recently. Yeah. So maybe part of that is in effect here where Atlanta just won a World Series. So how upset can you be about anything? On the other hand, if you just won a World Series, there's even less excuse for bringing back the face of your franchise who was a great player during that season and then a postseason hero and so personable and career franchise brave, et cetera, et cetera. So you can't argue that they don't have money to spend or it's not like, well, we lost with you, we can lose without you sort of situation. So I don't know whether that makes Makes it easier or harder, but definitely having Matt Olson makes it a lot easier. I think that's the key. If you are going to trade a franchise player or allow one to leave, then replacing him immediately with someone who is arguably just as good and also younger and then signing him to a long-term extension, <laughs> that definitely does take some of this thing out yeah. of it. And yes, if he fair. happens to be a local kid, even better. <laughs> so it's not, you know, trading Mookie bets and getting Alex Verdugo back, who's a, a good player, but not Mookie Betts. Like Madelson, he's given you a lot of the value that Freddie Freeman is. Maybe not the same personality, or maybe it'll just take time to develop the bond that Braves fans had with yeah. Freddie Freeman. But yeah, it helps to get another superstar at the same position immediately. And they moved so quickly, too. It wasn't even like, you know, days or weeks went by between Freeman leaving and Olsen coming in. Like, Olsen came in before Freeman officially left. So it really just sort of settled things very quickly. So in the absence of Freeman, what do you see as this roster strengths? I mean, coming off a of World Series, there's obviously quite a bit that's pretty strong here. But I, I think my favorite piece is the bullpen. You know, obviously it was pretty phenomenal in October last year. And looking at some of the changes they've made, as Meg mentioned, Colin McHugh, uh, Kenley Jansen is also here. You know, it there are some downsides. It looks like Luke Jackson might be out to start the season with an elbow issue on the 60-day the IL, so it could be a while. But this bullpen is just uh, was a lot of fun to watch last year, and I think should yeah. only be more so now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, you know, they're going to get one of the most exciting players in baseball back at some point in the in the middle of the season. We don't quite know what Ronald Acuna Jr. will look like when he is able to return, but this is not a a bad lineup in his absence, and it will only get stronger with his addition. So, like that part's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. What's the weakness? Going off what Meg just said about the lineup, it is like a very good lineup, but the one point here that stands out to me is DH. You know, I think we'll see Alex Dickerson there quite a bit to start the year. Then that shifts when you get Acuna back, you know, then you can perhaps Azuna's in the mix. There's, there are others, but it's just like, it's fine at that spot. And it's like, oh, like you, you, if you really wanted to go out and, and really add some firepower, you, you now have that spot in the lineup as a and all team with the DH now, and that's just not really there. Which is like it's it's perfectly fine, but it it, it does seem like when you're looking at a roster that's pretty well rounded, that was what stood out to me. Mm-hmm. I feel a little. I just said that like Ronald Acuna Jr. is one of the strengths, and that's definitely true. But there's like a a seeming commitment, at least right now, to play him in center field when he returns. How do we feel yeah. about that decision? That feels stressful to me. <laughs> But the, I mean, like, I don't know. I find Adam Duvall to be very frustrating as a as a player because 
like he did not grade out badly in the field last year, but I feel like the idea of Adam Duval center fielder doesn't quite sit like logically in my mind. So I don't I don't know what to make of their outfield configuration. I mean, they'll obviously be better once Acuna's back, but some of the defensive choices here might be a little suspect to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that seems yeah. fair. I don't know. Maybe they're banking on the magic that happened with Duval and Solaire and everyone they acquired down the stretch last season who everyone was like yawn at their trade deadline moves like good for them for trying I guess but the guys that they got were not anything special and then suddenly they were incredible for the rest of the season and in the playoffs as well so I don't know whether they've uh, fallen prey to thinking that they can just continually do that and get Eddie Rosario and bring him back and he'll be amazing I don't know but yeah I guess there's no true center fielder on the roster which it's kind of a weak time for center fielders in general around the league it seems like there just like aren't a whole lot of star center fielders right now it seems like we're kind of in a lull for that position which just happens sort of cyclically sometimes so I don't know I mean Acuna coming off the injury who knows? Like, right. I guess that shows that they are pretty confident that he will be back at full speed, which I certainly hope is the case because I would hate for the days of like Acuna going after 30, 30, 40, 40, 50, 50, who knows, to be completely out of reach. <laughs> yeah. That probably happens with most power hitters anyway as they get older and as maybe they slow down or maybe just the cost benefit calculation kind of changes about whether it's worth it for them to keep running. But it's a lot of fun when he does. So I hope that he returns as an equally dynamic and speedy player as well as a powerful player. Yeah, it's just interesting because I know that even before the injury, he had said, like, I love playing in right field. (laughs) (laughs) And now he's had, like, a devastating knee injury. So they're like, go do a harder thing that requires you to move around better. (laughs) So, But you're right. Like, they have, they obviously know way more about the current state of his knee than than I do, thankfully. (laughs) Good for the Braves. (laughs) All right. Is there a breakout pick that you see on this roster somewhere? I went with Spencer Strider, mm-hmm. you know, while we had been talking about that bullpen and what that might look like. He stood out as, as potentially something interesting there. He made the opening day roster and pretty good strikeout rate in AAA last year. So excited to see what he'll do. But there, there really aren't a lot of natural breakout picks here, I think, just because it's a decently established roster. I don't know if anyone yeah. else stood out for you guys. Hmm. I don't know that I will even necessarily like classified this as a breakout because it wasn't like his year was bad but like some of their like I, I want to see what some of their youngish pitching does like what is the next phase of his of his game for Ian Anderson like I want to know yeah. about that so I was thinking I was thinking a lot about Ian Anderson it's funny because some of the breakouts that I when we started these previews before a bunch of the trades came through I was like it's gonna be Shay Langoliers but now he doesn't play for him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not only not on their opening day roster he plays for Oakland, so. right yeah they have some pitchers who were kind of part of their pitching centric rebuild which then turned out not to be so much right. although that was kind of the blueprint but they do have guys like that who are still sort of hanging around like kyle wright I guess is penciled in to be in the middle of this rotation right now. (laughs) Can he be? I don't know. He was pretty terrible recently. So someone like that who is still young-ish 
and they still seem to believe in him but like obviously just missed almost all of the season and just you know has like a seven career ERA in MLB but in only 70 innings across four seasons of up and down and I don't know what he will be but there are players like that who I, I just, you know, they're maybe less established than obviously Morton, but, you know, Freed or Anderson. And then, of course, there's the Mike Soroka question as well. Yeah. Right. Like, what are what are they going to get out of him? He's pitched. I mean, he pitched 13 innings in 2020 and then hasn't pitched since because of the Achilles injury. So it's just like, what is what is yeah. this going to be? It's when Ben was doing the the positional power rankings for starting pitcher, I thought he made a good point, which is like there is a lot of upside here, but there's also a tremendous amount of uncertainty once you get past their top two. And it could be great or it could be like, you know, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Is there a rookie of interest to you other than Spencer Strider, I guess? Well, this is kind of going with everything that you both just said, but I picked Tucker Davidson just because mm-hmm. I'm not sure what this rotation is going to look like behind Max Reed and Charlie Morton that like there is potential for it to be in a position where you don't really need Tucker Davidson to do that much but you also really might and so I thought that was you know depending on how much we see of him that could be either uh, good or bad but uh, I'm curious about what kind of role he'll end up taking on in this rotation. Mm -hmm. Well, are there any other interesting storylines, questions any of us has about this team? I guess I'm perpetually curious about whether Ozzy Albies will ever decide to stop switch hitting, which uh, (laughs) seems like it's a possibility, perhaps. And I don't know, other than seeing how quickly Olsen establishes himself, whether Riley can follow up on his big breakout. Yeah. I guess there's always the question of, like, does Azuna return and how does he reintegrate into this team and everything, yeah. which is not, like, a fun storyline, but no. is one, I suppose. And then you have Dansby Swanson in his walk year, right, impending free agent. So there are questions. There's the Soroka question. And I guess uh, the rejiggered bullpen, as Emma mentioned, which looks like it should be pretty impressive. But yeah, other than that, and just how quickly will Acuna come back and will he look completely like his old self? Other than that, still seems like it's a pretty good team. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it's interesting in that, as we said, like they certainly didn't get worse this offseason at all, but it it feels like for a reigning World Series champion, they're isn't a lot of hype necessarily and that like they they still look very good but this division is just so tough and so much of their world series run was extremely fun to watch because it felt magical and improbable but that also means that you don't look ahead at like ah yes like what are the chances of a repeat um (laughs) and it's just like a weird position to be in i think to have won it all to have then worked over the winter to make this roster better in some key ways and yet it's still just like a Maybe they'll be second in this division. Maybe they'll win. They certainly can win it, but it just doesn't feel extremely likely. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if they're third in this division. It, it just feels like a strange position for a, a reigning champion that is not trying to, to peel anything back to just be like, well, we'll see. Right. Yeah, I'd say they're still the favorite. I guess they are according to the playoff odds, and you kind of just have to hand it to them until proven otherwise, just because they keep winning this division and they just won the World Series. But they're definitely not like a super team type. I mean, it's almost like 
the Nationals maybe when they won the World Series. And you wouldn't have said that they were necessarily the best team in baseball when they won the World Series. I mean, the Braves won 88 games last year, and it took kind of an incredible comeback for them to make it to the playoffs. And they remade their roster on the fly, and they lost a lot of guys. And, you know, they ended up beating a bunch of really good teams. I don't know that they were better than any of those teams. I mean, the Brewers, the Dodgers, the Astros, those were all very good teams. And the Braves had a great October, and they totally deserved to beat those teams. But as we know, October success is uh, not always indicative of true talent. So not intending to take anything away from them, but they're not the Dodgers necessarily, where not only do they win the division every year, but they often have a case as the best team in baseball and the preseason favorite with the highest World Series odds, etc. They're a good team. They keep winning this division, and they haven't really been pushed that hard because the Phillies just kind of perpetually have been hanging around 500, and everything goes wrong for the Mets somehow every season. (laughs) And the Marlins are improving, but haven't been good yet. So they are just the best in this division kind of by default, which sounds like I'm giving them a backhanded compliment. And maybe I am, but (laughs) they won the World Series. It doesn't mean that they are uh, an unbeatable juggernaut, but they have been the best team in this division for several years running. Well, and they're not in a position to really be reinforced from the farm in any meaningful way. We haven't done their full org ranking at Fangraphs yet, but like they had two top 100 prospects coming into the season and they traded both of them. <laughs> so like the, the, which doesn't mean that they have, they don't have anyone who they could sort of trade from the position of depth, but if they are, you know, looking to supplement this group when the deadline comes around, like there isn't this like plethora of you know 50s sitting out there their system looks pretty shallow so i don't know what they'll be able to do if they find themselves either injured or in need of you know somebody else just from an underperformance perspective so this might just be your your atlanta team here Mm -hmm. they are yeah well that's been pretty good lately (laughs) so we should move to the mets the mets (laughs) always so much fun to discuss so there are a lot of options to choose from here when it comes to best offseason move. What's your pick? So I think if I can kind of lump together best offseason move strength and weakness, I feel like they're all three sides of the same strange, disturbing little thing here. <laughs> and that, I mean, it's hard not to go with Max Scherzer for the best offseason move. Like that is just an, an incredible addition to a, a rotation that already had Jacob deGrom. And then of course, I think you're, biggest strength is the idea of having if you have the two of them healthy for a a one-two punch that's you know all but unbeatable at the top of a rotation um and yet the biggest weakness is how much are you actually going to see that like there's you know the pitching depth here does not give me a lot of encouragement i think the rotation at healthy could be you know one of the very best in baseball you have the brewers in that conversation as well but like this is a really really impressive a healthy Scherzer, DeGrom, if you see what you see from Carlos Carrasco, like that is really great and encouraging. And yet I, I also think it's their biggest weakness and that I there's not enough to make me feel like we'll see it very much. And that makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty important to build in some redundancy in this rotation because it's the Mets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and... <laughs> like is there an argument that Chris Bassett is actually their biggest addition this offseason? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. 
And even Scherzer, I mean, he's been dealing with a hamstring issue. Doesn't sound like it's serious. Sounds like he will probably make his Mets debut on Friday against the Nationals. And you can, you know, take that with uh, whatever superstition (laughs) method you use as a Mets fan. But I'm looking at a a Newsday story right now that says he is likely to pitch Friday. And not only does he have a, a great pitch face in this photo, but it's also one of those disgusting elbow pitcher pictures where it's like the skin is all misshapen and it looks like there's like cartilage that's about to poke out and it's like ew why does anyone pitch this can't possibly (laughs) be so bad for you (laughs) so that's not an encouraging photo but it has worked for him thus far but yeah i mean you're paying for max scherzer because he was maybe the best pitcher in the league and you hope that he will continue to be that for a year or two or three but he has not been quite as durable of late and you have to figure that with someone his age he's not going to be available 100 percent of the time and so when you know you're already down Jacob deGrom for a couple of months conservatively speaking and given that this is deGrom in the Mets it's hard to be hopeful about that timeline and then of course you have Carlos Carrasco who's up there in age and also has had his unavailabilities as well I mean Tywin Walker has a knee thing now maybe Mm, yeah yeah kind of like wrapping all of this up we had apparently Buck Showalter said today on Tuesday that he cannot commit to a starter for opening day on Thursday but is considering both Tyler McGill and David Peterson and I think that kind of says it all (laughs) (laughs) how do you end up in a situation where that's the choice (laughs) after you've made all of these trades and signings and you have all of these brand name pitchers oh Mets 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 how many years and like I actually don't feel confident that they have not just done part of my question already and we just discount it because of the Mets of it all but like how many years of average pitcher health would they need to have before we stopped going oh Mets and like maybe they've I mean like pitchers break all the time that's not a Metsian yeah. phenomena right like they don't corner the market on guys going down with this and that like that that just happens but mm-hmm. it does I do wonder like like Ben will your daughter's impression of this Mets team when she is like a, a more grown person be that they cannot keep pitchers healthy I don't know yeah I don't know. That is something that fluctuates from year to year because sometimes it'll seem like franchises are either snake bitten or they just can't do anything right or maybe the opposite and no one's getting hurt or with certain types of injuries and then it'll just change and you have different coaches and different personnel and different luck so I don't know how persistent these things are with the Mets the reputation at least has been persistent there have been some years where they really did lose a lot of players and have a high number of IL stints and injury days there have been also years where they were not among the leaders necessarily but I think we're just so used to saying lol Mets and bemoaning their injury situation that maybe we make too much of it but I think it also just has to do with the way that they handle injuries sometimes where it just seems like consistently they often downplay injuries and then ultimately admit over time like this slow tantalizing reveal that actually this (laughs) bone bruise is Tommy John surgery or something like the way that they do it like that so that you can never seem to trust the initial news because it's always like oh day to day and then suddenly that's month to month or year to year so I think 
the PR approach, the messaging maybe has had something to do with it as well, just, you know, accentuating the actual problem there. But if the rotation isn't the strength, I mean, potentially it could be the strength at some point this season if it is fully operational. But otherwise, is there a strength? Do you see that as the greatest strength? I would love to be able to live a baseball season where it is, Mm -hmm. but given everything we've just discussed, um, I think I'm curious to see what this offense does. You know, I'm not sure. Obviously, Francisco Lindor struggled uh, quite a bit in his first year in New York, and I'm wondering kind of what we get from him going forward, like how much of that was particular to whatever adjustments he was making and and also was dealing with health at some points, how much of that was tied to just the circumstances of last year. What will we see from him going forward? You know, it is not that hard to get excited about thinking about what you could get from an infield with him with, you know, Pete Alonso hitting a lot of home runs. You, you can see something fun there. But um, yeah, I, I would like to imagine we can live a baseball season where we mostly get to talk about this rotation over everything else here because it, it certainly has the highest ceiling. But as we've said, who knows how close we get to that? Yeah. Francisco Lindor has an OPS over a thousand in spring training, but you could say the same about 2021 and 2020. So <laughs> I don't know if that is predictive of anything. He has yeah. looked good, but and you know he played better as as the season went on. Like I I believe in Francisco Lindor. Yeah, we at Fangraphs project him to to rebound just fine. Like mm-hmm. he's projected for a 118 WRC plus. Five wins, basically 29 home runs, his usual stellar defense. So we are optimistic that Francisco Lindor will be just fine. Mm-hmm. Is there a weakness just other than general metsiness and injury woes? Catching? Can we talk about the catching situation on this ball club? Because it's not great. Mm, yeah. It's not good. But... I don't know, Emma, what your your most important rookie pick is. It might be a situation they could alleviate if they wanted to be aggressive with some of their promotions. Yeah, yeah. It is interesting because you're you're right with the catching. I'm not sure if they seem inclined to fix it. It certainly doesn't seem particularly so. But I had chosen for my most important rookie, Tyler McGill, who still has rookie eligibility, just because when you look at this rotation, I think he might have to be. But yeah, I don't know. I'm. You're right. That is kind of a, a little bit of a black hole is perhaps a little aggressive for talking about catcher right now. But uh, yeah. Yeah, Mets fans were critical about the James McCann signing. I, I think a lot of them saw it as sort of a Will Ponish move, just going out and making an early move for someone who is like not at the top of the market. And I wonder whether they would have made that same move this offseason when it seemed like they were even more all in. Obviously, they got Lindor last offseason, but beyond that, it, it seemed like they weren't necessarily breaking the bank as much as they were willing to this winter. So I don't know whether that's just Steve Cohen having seen what can happen when one owns the Mets in year one of his ownership and was like, OK, not taking any chances this next time. We're going to go get a bunch of guys. but. Yeah, that contract is not looking like the best right now. 233, 292, 370 for an 84 WRC+. Plus. That is what the current Fangraphs depth charts projections have for James McCann this year. Oof. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. 
But there are a lot of other high points around the rest of the roster and around the rest of the lineup. And Starling Marte, obviously, will be a lot of fun. And Eduardo Escobar, maybe Mets fans were also like not super enthused about Eduardo Escobar, but, you know, he's fine. And Mark Canna, like they brought in a lot of good position players here and they are older and there is that concern i guess Marte is uh 33 33 and a half and canna is also 33 and escobar is also when you know it 33 so they signed a lot of 33 year olds this offseason but they all seem to have something left and the dh helps this team i think this was one of the teams that just kind of needed a dh to resolve some of their positional log jams although robinson cano is back so that's an interesting storyline to follow around this team i have no idea what he has left or how long a leash he will have because like the last time we saw him he was really good he was also just before getting popped for PDs again. So make of that what you will. I saw a story recently where he was crediting Alex Rodriguez for like his fitness journey and, and you know, helping him learn how to work out and everything, which uh, I'm sure he did. A-Rod is uh, diligent about physical fitness, but also <laughs> those guys uh, both very closely associated with PDs. So I don't know if I were Robinson Cano, I don't know that I would be necessarily saluting A-Rod for like being a Formative influence on me, although I guess that tracks. He looked he looked okay and lead him. Robinson mm-hmm. Cano. Yeah, he did. I mean he's he's gonna be forty in October, so who knows? And he has been a well preserved player, like he's been a productive older player, but who knows how much, if anything, that has to do with the PDs and if he is no longer PDing, whether that will still be the case. So I don't know. It's I mean, he's making a good amount of money still, so that will earn him a little bit of plague time, I suppose. Sure. But, you know, Justin Upton got cut and Robinson Cano could get cut too. Like, I mean, he's he's hit okay in spring training so far, and it would not surprise me if he still had a little left. He's just uh, such a, a sweet swinger, such a, <laughs> I was going to say a natural stroke, but maybe he is anything <laughs> but natural. But <laughs> I don't believe he's Bums purely, me out, yeah, me too. I don't think he's purely a product of, of whatever he's been doing. I mean, I saw him coming up as a rookie when I was still rooting for the Yankees, and it was a lot of fun to see the Yankees develop an actual good <laughs> prospect and player and have him establish himself so I don't know it is sort of sad that now when we talk about Robinson Cano this is what we talk about but I just don't know if they need him necessarily to do much because they do have J.D. Davis they do have Dominic Smith and so he kind of like he has to hit to justify playing time and, and a roster spot here yeah, I mean, they do owe him $24 million in each of these next two seasons, so it is a more expensive proposition to cut than just, you know, than it would be with Upton. But yeah, yeah I mean, I, I imagine that he will get, he will both get an opportunity and have to like secure that opportunity with good play. Like this mm-hmm. is too good a, this is potentially too good of a team. And it's certainly one with high enough aspirations that I don't think they'll play him just to play him. Mm-hmm. 
All right, any breakout picks on the roster? Again, it's another established team and an older team. I mean, everyone in the starting lineup is, well, at least 27, right? Pete Alonso is the young guy at 27, and then you have Nimmo at 29, Lindor still 28, but then it's uh, a lot of ages that start with threes, so not a ton of unknown quantities here, but do you see anyone who could take a step forward potentially? I'm curious to see if we'll get to see much of Nick Plummer, who, you know, I think we all kind of, or maybe not we all, but was kind of generally written off as a a bust for for quite some time in the Cardinal system. And it it is nice to see him like have kind of climbed back up and and that the Mets picked him up over the winter before the lockout uh, to kind of beef up that outfield depth, which, as we've said, there are lots of options there. But yeah, this is kind of reaching for a breakout pick with the established nature of the roster, as you said, but I would be excited to see him finally get a a chance and to see if he can actually do something. And similarly, I guess not a ton of rookies to be found currently, but is there anyone, either a holdover or someone who could come up at some point during the season? I mostly am curious with, as Meg said, with Catcher, you know, I would be very surprised to see Francisco Alvarez there, but I would love to think about, like, it it feels like a weird Metzian, something to, like, look at with with hope. Um, I I don't think we'll see him, but I'm excited to see what he does in in AA and what what else we get from him maybe next year. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the Mets. I don't know whether there are any interesting stories or questions that we haven't discussed. I mean, they're the Mets. We all know the story. We are all dismayed by the story and also sort of fascinated by the story <laughs> and sometimes entertained by the story. Well, so I have I have one. I have okay. one Mets thing that I continue mm-hmm. to to wonder about, which is like what what is Steve Cohen's actual understanding of like the upper bound of his payroll? Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like he doesn't it's not that he doesn't have one, he's just like unimpressed by the the introduction of the like the Cohen tax, right? Like the fact that they are going to tax him for anything over two ninety doesn't seem to bother him that much, which is good because this roster, at least by our estimates, is like four million dollars away from from triggering that upper luxury tax threshold. But I do wonder if there is like a number he is mentally managing to and if that number is like what is the time horizon over which that will be tolerated and sort of unfold if they have a year where they play well and they're competitive in this division and they make a postseason run, does that dramatically alter what the outlook is for the 2023 payroll in a way that like them just not being able to get out of the East because this is an incredibly competitive division and their entire rotation is hurt, does does that sort of measurably alter things for them? So I, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I mean, when he bought the team, he said it would be disappointing if they didn't win a World Series in three to five years, and that was November 2020, I think, so it's been about a year and a half already, and... I mean, say what you will about Steve Cohen in his uh, personal and professional life, but a lot of teams, a lot of fans would be happy to have an owner like him, at least, who was willing to invest in the team. And so, yes, I guess the question is, is there a ceiling at all? Yeah. If they don't start out so well, will he opt for midseason reinforcements? If things just don't click again, what will that mean for next offseason? Because, uh, you know, he's on an aggressive timeline here. 
and it does seem just like as a Mets fan himself and as someone who seems to enjoy being in the public spotlight and getting the attention that being the owner of a New York franchise affords him seems like he really does want to win a World Series (laughs) so whatever else we can say about him that at least is an admirable quality that we wish a lot of owners had so that's something and you know I picked the Mets to win this division last year I got burned by that although it looked good for a while and I just I don't know if I can make myself buy into the Mets maybe if DeGrom were looking healthy and available as it is I I just feel like they kind of have to prove it to me but I wouldn't at all be surprised if I mean one of these years right like one of these years things actually have to go right for them and there is they a lot of talent the World there series in 2015. <laughs> I know I'm usually the person who's like Mets fans are complaining too much like compare yourself to the Mariners or whatever team that never even contends right and you know Mets fans bemoan their lot in life I guess because they're a big city franchise and they're often in the shadow of the Yankees and they've just been so bumbling at least from kind of a corporate perspective and a PR perspective for so long in ways that are both like amusing bumbling and also like terrible and toxic bumbling like bumbling isn't even strong enough a word necessarily so it's a mix of both of those things maybe at least they can put that part of their legacy behind them for a little while but like with this current core I mean it's not a team that is like built for the long term either right because yeah. I mean we talked about nope. the ages of some of the players in the starting lineup and then you have DeGrom and you have Scherzer and you have Bassett yet another 33 year old that they acquired this winter and Cars Carrasco's 35 I mean you know this is not a young team and DeGrom of course is in his contract year too and it sounds like he intends to opt out although I wonder that seems like it's kind of dependent on his health right I mean I know he's confident in his abilities and willing to bet on himself and maybe he could get a high dollar short-term deal like a, a Bauer or Correa contract almost regardless of how healthy he is this year but you know if he misses like most of the season then suddenly opting out might not be quite as attractive but either way like you know they're all getting up there in years like the Mets have to win sometime soon if they're going to win with this group yeah all right well I guess we could say exactly that same thing about the Phillies. So <laughs> let's talk about them and yet another team that has had some interesting offseason moves. So what is the best of the bunch? Yeah, I think we have to go with uh, Nick Castellanos here. Mm-hmm. As I'm sure we'll hit, it's an interesting roster construction strategy and <laughs> that they uh, have seemingly just decided to ignore defense entirely but uh, they're gonna hit a lot of home runs and Castellanos is gonna be a big part of that so Mm -hmm. I love it I have no notes (laughs) (laughs) I have no no notes about this crazy no defense team it's the best I love it I wish there were more teams like this Uh, it's you know it's gonna be well, I mean, it's going to be so painful for Phillies fans at points, but it's going to be such a delight for the rest of us. This is the this is tremendous content of teams. No notes. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love it too. Also, just like a perfect yeah, like marriage of vibe and fan base. Oh yeah, um, yeah. In that, like, you already have, regardless of how the Phillies are actually doing, the like constant "I want to die" energy yeah. just radiating off their fans, and this yes. I feel like is 
perfect for it because yep. I do think they're they're going to win quite a bit. I, mean, oh, yeah. I wouldn't say I think they're going to win the division, but they're going to be competitive and it is going to look terrible. I cannot wait. Yeah, look, the Eagles won a Super Bowl. Like the 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 fortunes of the team does not always dictate the Philly fan response. And again, not a criticism, no notes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I have a lot of notes, but I <laughs> also enjoy their roster construction yeah. and look forward to seeing how this plays out. It's just like they will constantly be self-sabotaging oh, in the field yeah. and then like having to hit their way out of holes that they themselves created, which, which should just like be pretty entertaining to watch. Like, can you outrun the thing that is constantly chasing you? It's like Indiana Jones and the boulder and the boulder is like all of their fielders, which is probably... <laughs> pretty accurate kyle gibson is gonna need therapy like it's, oh, man. i mean yeah. that part i feel badly about not ideal for him i don't no. want to make fun of his his potential frustration with his work experience but like there's there there are frustrations to be had here but they are going to send some vi- baseballs very very far and that part's going to be great mm-hmm. all right well that's the obvious strength i guess i mean there's a lot of strengths here other than the one major weakness that we've been talking about, which I I guess we're spoiling our biggest weakness category here of this team. I think that was probably obvious to everyone, but what is the biggest strength in your mind, Emma? Because, I mean, this lineup will hit. I like the lineup, but I also like the rotation too. Yeah, I actually really like this rotation, and I'm curious to see just how good it is, which a lot of that hinges on what is Aaron Nola going to look like. Last year, not great, but you know, I, I don't think it's too optimistic to wonder if we can see something closer to what he was a few years ago. And if you have that with, uh, again, Kyle Gibson and whatever therapy he may or may not need, with <laughs> Ranger Suarez, Wheeler, like that can be a really good rotation if it shakes out right yeah i mean looking at aaron nola's fangrass page he has identical 3.37 expected era fip and xfip last year and his era was 4.63 and normally you might say terrible luck but this is the phillies so you're gonna get some era minus fit gaps on this team like that's gonna happen it's not necessarily fluky i mean he could have been unlucky as well and you know he's had seasons where he's been quite lucky of course as we all recall even though the phillies were not great defensively he didn't seem to be burned by it but you know you can't necessarily look at phillies pitchers peripherals and say oh they're going to be better this year they're gonna be more like their fit because uh, this team is just going to have the biggest gap between its ERA and FIP of of any just because it's going to have the worst defense. So there's that. But I do buy a, a bounce back for him to some extent, certainly. I mean, he still strikes out a ton of people. And by the standards of this era, he is, I guess, uh, very durable as well. So to have him and Wheeler at the top of this rotation and a full season of Ranger Suarez as starter, which I guess is an interesting storyline, right? Yeah. Like, can he possibly be as incredible as he was last year? And then you have a full season of Kyle Gibson, who, yes, does not seem to suit this roster skill set wise, but still, like, better to have him than not. So, 
there's a, a lot to like there. So again, like they can pitch, at least in the rotation, they can pitch and they can really rake. And it's just a question of how many runs are they going to get back in the field? <laughs> well, and, and they have Real Muto and like he is mm-hmm. he is a good defender at catcher and Stott did make the opening day roster. So I know that they aren't necessarily going to have him at short all the time, but like he is a, a good defender in the field and will probably usurp D.D. Gregorius in short order here. So like there are some things that are better today when it comes to the the potential fortunes of that rotation than they were even yesterday, right? But Mm -hmm. the outfield is going to be a hilarious adventure that we all get to watch. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they make me make predictions at the ringer every spring, and I have to pick my playoff teams, and generally I don't like broadcast them elsewhere because I don't think I have some special skill for predicting the outcome of the season or anything. But ultimately, I did pick the Phillies as my third wildcard team in the NL, and I just I went back and forth and back and forth among the Giants and the Cardinals and the Phillies, and ultimately I went with the Phillies and immediately felt like I had made a huge mistake, <laughs> and I just feel like it's tough when you're giving up that many runs and I know it's a high strikeout era and there are fewer balls in play and so that helps but when you already have the worst defensive team in the majors and then you add Castellanos and Schwarber to it and you're just totally doubling down like it's it's like a silent killer almost I mean it may not be silent in the Phillies case because there may be like a lot of bloopers and very obvious (laughs) mistakes and defensive miscues but like often when a team surprises it's because they have a really good defense and you just didn't really it like the Cardinals generally do and I think the opposite can be true too where you know you know intellectually yeah this team has a terrible defense but look at all those bats and look at all those arms and you can kind of overlook the defense but it really does just like wear away at you it's like high blood pressure weakening your arteries or something (laughs) like you just don't know (laughs) until you have a heart attack that's bleak (laughs) but that's kind of the way i think of this roster (laughs) i mean and also on the the subject of high blood pressure they did make efforts to improve the bullpen but this was a really really bad bullpen last year too and Corey kniebel should help that brad hand should help that it could potentially help it quite a bit but i i feel like there are still enough questions around this bullpen that we might get the the high blood pressure effects there at times like they haven't completely made over the bullpen and so it's just adding to the overall effect of like this isn't like meltdown territory it's just has clear things that are going to drive fans absolutely up the wall (laughs) right yeah and they have i think the fourth highest expected payroll now according to roster resource so they're just trying to sort of spend through it it's like someone trying to tweet through a scandal or something it's just like let's let's like just uh pour more money on the problem and great all for it wish more teams would do it but they are still trying to spend their way out of this strange roster construction and this is just kind of what Dave Dombrowski does at this stage of his career and I've said it before it's sort of his superpower is just convincing ownership to loosen the purse strings he seems to be more capable of doing that than just about any executive so that's valuable like it seems simple to say just come in and trade your prospects for good veterans or sign good free agents well anyone could do that but you 
have to convince ownership to do that. It's just, you know, by the time he leaves this organization, like, will it be a wasteland with lots of long-term commitments and no farm system and not a ton to show for it? That's the question because they've had such success so far when it comes to their big moves like Harper and Wheeler and Real Muto and the problem has been not developing or acquiring complementary players to put around them. So will that run of success in free agency continue with Schwarber and Castellanos? Like you look at their core and it is strong. Like you could say this is kind of a championship caliber core if you take their five or six best players, but I just, I don't know that there's enough depth there. It's not going to be a great team. It's just, will it be good enough to get past the like 80 to 82 win range where they just have been stuck ever since they came out the other end of this rebuild? I mean, if they manage to make some some playoff appearances, I think that it will it probably be viewed as fine. Because right now we're we're thinking of them as the team that like couldn't make the rebuild process work, right? Like that is mm-hmm. sort of the accusation that has been leveled against the Phillies, and it's been a fair one because they haven't done anything. Like yep. Yep. we should, if the Mariners make the postseason this this year, the Phillies are their postseason drought is like creeping up there. <laughs> yeah, it is not true. short. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if they manage to to make a little run like that, then I, I don't know. Like, is it exactly what Phillies fans would have wanted? No. I'm sure they won a World Series. But if uh, a postseason appearance would probably be a good step. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any breakout picks catch your eye? Is there a next Ranger Suarez somewhere on this roster? <laughs> I feel like this one is kind of perhaps low-hanging fruit, but we had last year Alec Bohm really struggled at the plate, but still hit the ball really hard. Mm -hmm. 75 WRC+, which was a big step back from what he did in 2020, but he also, you know, his average exit velocity is like 89th percentile. So um, perfect fit for the roster, and that, of course, the the glove is... But I think at the plate, I think he can perhaps tap into a, enough there to just be a perfect fit and help them help them rake while uh, just not doing anything to speak of on the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are all these uh, bones and kingeries and moniacs hanging around here who, like, if one of them could click, that would really help quite a lot. And I know people are maybe excited about Mickey Moniac's spring. He has a 1285 OPS in spring training, which is fun, although I will note that he also had... 1,000 plus OPSs in spring training in each of the past two years <laughs> in fewer at-bats, but that's something that has happened. So rookies, I mean, we mentioned Stott, right? And is Matt Veerling rookie eligible? I don't remember how rookie eligibility works, <laughs> but he's around as well. I think Matt Veerling is rookie eligible. You like either of them or anyone else? Yeah, I mean, Stott, I think it, having just mentioned Bohm, like it was interesting that that was a bit of a positional battle, but I think as Meg said, I think it's, you know, pretty likely we see Stott get some time at short. And yeah, it, it's exciting that he uh, will be on the roster for opening day. And I, I think that one should be one to watch out for. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the Phillies. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of reasons to watch this team. It should be frustrating at times and fun at other times. So I'm definitely looking forward to this Philly season. It will be unlike <laughs> any other season that we will see this year, I think. So that brings us to the Marlins. 
they were also active. There are a lot of active teams in this division this winter. Do you have a favorite or best Marlins move? So looking like big picture long term, I, I think it's hard not to pick extending Sandy Alcantara because that's, a I think, a really good step toward locking down this young rotation core, which is very exciting and fun to watch. But I also really liked picking up Jacob Stallings at catcher to, you know, mm-hmm. talking about how good this rotation can be and especially a young rotation having him there to, to manage the staff I think is really exciting and so that one I think might be my favorite mm-hmm. yeah that's a good pick yeah. by the way I, I should mention that the Phillies have kind of overhauled their player development department yeah so maybe things will get better there as Dabrowski said we need to be better at getting players over the hump and producing good players from within the system I agree Dave the Phillies definitely <laughs> need to be better at that all right back to the Marlins so the strength I guess the strength is probably what we always talk about with this team right the young pitching oh yeah the young yeah I mean it's hard not to yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of it. It's fun. I mean, there are pitchers on the staff who have already been great, like Alcantara and, and Rogers. I mean, people have projected Alcantara to make even greater strides. I've seen, like, according to StatCast, I noticed this because uh, my colleague Zach Cram pointed it out the other day, but Alcantara had the worst framing support of any pitcher. He had the most runs lost to framing, according to Baseball Savant last season. So, with Stallings, hopefully that will not be the case, even though maybe Stallings is a, a more elite blocker than a framer. Hopefully that'll get a little bit better for him. But, you know, Trevor Rogers is already really good. Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, there are so many guys here. Jesus Lazardo is, I guess, the question. I don't know whether we're uh, stepping on any breakout picks or, or anything here, but that's definitely one of the storylines of the season. Like, oh, how much yeah. will you get out of him? Yeah. And obviously, Sixto Sanchez, who does not seem to be close to returning from his shoulder surgery. So I just I have no idea what to expect out of him, if anything, or when. But there are so many good pitchers here that... They've already traded a little bit from that depth, but they could continue to if they want to supplement the lineup still. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see what this player dev group can do with Lazardo, which isn't to say that like, you know, Oakland's not like bad at that, but I think that there's just the opportunity here for him to take a step forward with the combination of what they're up to and good health. And yeah, if, you know, and if Sixto Sanchez can ever figure out a better fastball shape, like look out. Mm-hmm. Weakness. I appreciate that they they tried to fix the lineup. Some, you know, Jorge Soler, <laughs> Abisail, Garcia. Like they tried. You can't say they didn't do anything. They did not do enough for Derek Jeter's taste, seemingly. Yeah, weird. It just it, it because like what we're saying, like this rotation could be so 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 good, and it's like if you could just do a little more here to give me confidence that you could at least consistently like be a average-ish offense, I would feel so excited to watch this team, and and instead you haven't quite done that. I I think an admirable job of of trying with what seemed like it was not uh, very much to work with financially, but uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Garcia, obviously, Garcia is a, you know, he's a, a good player in Jorge Soler. I have no idea <laughs> whether he's like the very not good player or the very good player who he was like within last season. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know exactly what to make of him. And, and Stallings obviously helps you a lot defensively at the very least. So it is an improvement. But yeah, you know, they were linked to Castellanos and Marte, who of course was a Marlin in the not too distant past. And someone like that, I mean, yeah, it seems like they could use a, a real big bopper, but I I believe in, in aspects of this lineup, I guess. Is there a, a breakout pick either on the offensive side or just yet another pitcher who could take a step forward for you? I think Luzardo is such a good pick because I, I really do think that, you know, working with this staff, I, I would be really excited to see what we get from him if he can kind of fit in with the rest of this rotation. But other than that, you know, this steps on a rookie, but I'm talking about the, this lineup and what we might see. I'm kind of curious to see what uh, Jesus Sanchez does in the outfield. Yeah. He does have, you know, some power that is otherwise missing from this lineup. And I would like to see, like, maybe we can get something from him there. But yeah, breakout wise, it, you know, I feel like it's hard because the pitching staff is already so good other than Luzardo that you can't really point to much there. Um, And then the lineup is uh, what we've discussed it is. So is it too late to predict? Well, I don't know if I'm predicting, but to hope for a, a Jazz Chisholm breakout, sort of for him to elevate past what he did last year, which wasn't yeah. bad, but was it's not like, you know, he was a below league average hitter and the mm -hmm. defense was only so-so. So maybe we could give some hope to Chisholm, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. He's one of those players who, in my head, because he is so much fun to watch, even if he hasn't like fully put it together, that like yeah. it, he has already transcended it in my head um even right. though you're right he was not a league average hitter even though he felt like one to me right like very much felt like one and so that's a great point he's close yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's close but not quite there yeah no his his highlights are as exciting as anyone yeah and uh i guess it sounds like a cliche but consistency <laughs> that's kind of important for him but yeah. also like you know plate discipline and and strikeout to walk ratio like you know he he struck out Close to 30% of the time last year and, and walked less than 7% of the time. So that's an issue, but like he does have speed and power and, and it definitely wouldn't surprise me to see him make a, a step forward. He's he's only 24. So yeah, I could see it. And I'm with you on, on Sanchez as well. Like I could see him having a 30 homer season. I mean, he hit 14 in 251 plate appearances last year. So clearly has a lot of power. So yeah. There's that. Like, I don't know that it's going to be a, a good lineup, but it shouldn't be as bad a lineup as the ones that the Marlins have run out there lately. And of course, there's always Williams Estadio, right? So that's of course. fun, I guess. Like, I don't know exactly how he fits on this roster. He didn't fit that well on the Twins roster, and I don't know that he fits that well on this roster either because he's not really the primary backup catcher, and they did go out and get Joey Wendell, and, and there's more depth there in the lineup, but hopefully they keep him around for my entertainment just as a mascot at minimum. Yeah, it's interesting to think of, as you were saying, I, I'm not sure what it would mean to think of a roster he truly fits on, because I think it's more than just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, someone who needs a backup catcher. It's I, I don't know what it would mean to think of a roster that fits him, but I am happy he's here, that he's somewhere that perhaps we'll get to actually see him. So 
Mm-hmm. And they still have, let's see, the one, two, three, four, five, sixth lowest projected payroll as of now. So even though they have spent a bit, if that was really why Derek Jeter walked away, that he was frustrated about a lack of investment in the Major League roster, that's still a complaint you can make about the Marlins. They've been stingier some seasons, but this is all relative. We're talking about a team that has been the subject of grievances about not spending. So (laughs) maybe they've vaulted themselves out of that territory, perhaps, but that's a pretty low bar. So any other interesting storylines or rookies or anything that either of you was looking forward to with Miami? This is not directly related to the actual roster, but I am hoping that in like July we'll get the definitive story on Jeter's decision and like the timing of it all. That it was really kind of like because of when it came down in the lockout that I felt like we didn't get a a, like a big meaty deep dive into it. And I'm hoping it's coming because I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he just missed being the New York bureau chief of the Players Tribune or whatever his position <laughs> was. <laughs> just wanted to get back in there, just work with copy again. He missed that. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I want the TikTok of that. Maybe he just maybe he wants not. I don't want a TikTok of it to be clear. I don't <laughs> want like the. <sighs> Like the minute by minute of it. Maybe he was just really excited about his Hall of Fame plaque giveaway in the Bronx. He had to get out of there to facilitate that masterwork. Yes. Right. Yeah, maybe he personally consulted on it, and that's why it turned out to be such a a great lifelike representation and, and likeness of him. Looks just like the spitting image of the captain. Okay, so <laughs> that's the Marlins, I guess. Like, I'm I'm semi-excited about the Marlins. Like, there are a number of teams that I could see as potential surprise teams. Like, I can talk myself into them having things click, even though they're not projected for a playoff spot this year. Like, I don't know, the Twins or the Tigers or, well, certainly the Marlins. I, I guess the Angels are, are always a, a candidate for that kind of thing. I mean... There are teams out there that I can kind of buy, and and the Marlins are maybe toward the top of that list where I could see it all working out. So whether it actually will, whether they will be willing to reinforce the roster at some point, I don't know. But, like, the foundations are are there. It seems like, you know, if they just give Kim Ang a a little more money to work with and she makes the right moves and investments and trades from strengths to shore up weaknesses, like... We could be having a, a different conversation about the Marlins in future years where we're not getting to them fourth in this division. And maybe we should have had them higher right now. I don't know. You could certainly make that case. Well, that takes us to the last <laughs> team in the NL East, the Washington Sotos. So we will talk about what else there is to get excited about on this roster other than Soto. Are there any off-season moves of note? <laughs> they signed Nelson Cruz. <laughs> they did sign Nelson Cruz. That was something. A little lineup protection, at least a, a pretense of protection for Soto. Yeah. They also brought in Sean Doolittle, which since we're not going to be talking about like the actual on-field performance here much, I, I, I don't mm-hmm. think is giving too much away looking ahead. I, I think strictly on a, a vibes basis, just all of the, the old guys you bring in. So yeah, Cruz. Sean Doolittle, seeing if he can rebound in the pen. Like, some good vibe additions, uh, if not actual meaningful additions. Mm -hmm. Right. By the way, I meant to include the Mariners in my little list of teams that could potentially 
take a step forward this year. Sorry, sorry, Mariners, didn't mean to <laughs> to slight you and leave you out of that list. So, other than Soto, <laughs> are there strengths of this roster? Is there a strength? It feels like an existential question, and I no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> so like we there's a how about a potential strength? Will okay, you, sure. Will you? Uh, allow a potential strength this club (laughs) does have a decent track record of signing the older veteran hitter type and like getting a good season or two out of that type you know not like an all-star season but like a competent uh offensive season they've they've done that a couple of times so they might do that again like you know, like Cesar Hernandez is a is a candidate for that, and we said they they brought in Nelson Cruz far more than just a competent bat. So there's there's that piece of it, and they will be good for the half a season that they are on this roster if they are in fact uh, good hitters. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I feel like a, I'm not sure how much of that to attribute to a former Nationals hitting coach Kevin Long, who's now with the Phillies. Fair enough. Mm. And so, I don't know, because you're right, they they have had that reputation for so long, and I, I wonder how much of that was directly attributed to Long, who, you know, by all accounts was pretty well spoken of, and I, I think the Phillies seem excited to have him, or how much of that is just like further ingrained in this in this organization. Uh-huh. Man, Meg was trying so hard to identify <laughs> there. <laughs> I mean, like, when you're, when you're getting to, like, let us talk about the potential performance of cesar hernandez like you're you know you're you're in a particular kind of territory sorry right yes okay well weakness (laughs) there are a lot of them but (laughs) is there a a most glaring one oh that's hard just because of the the variety here (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i mean this rotation especially if patrick corbin is like himself cooked yeah like that's That's going to be a rough go of things. Yeah. I guess the yeah. good news that he, is that he probably can't give up 37 home runs again. Like, it would be hard to give up quite as many home runs as he gave up last year. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of any hope that this team has to be respectable this year comes down to will you get bounce backs from Corbin and Steven Strasburg, of course. And I just, you know, I have no idea what to say about Strasburg. He's barely pitched since becoming a World Series hero and signing a long-term extension. So I don't know what you can count on from him coming off of the injuries he's had. And and really, that's been a hallmark of his career. So will he come back? Will he be effective at some point this season? That would help a lot, obviously. Like if you got something out of those two and then you have... Gray and man, Anibal Sanchez back for another <laughs> another run here. Yeah, I mean, even when they were good, even when their rotation was a strength, rotation depth was not their strength, right. and it's still not. Except now they don't have the great top of the rotation either, so it's just yeah. not a good rotation unless uh, the guys who have fallen on hard times just suddenly regain their old form. So yeah, it's it's rough. All right, well. Maybe there are more potential bounce-back candidates than breakout candidates here. As we have noted, I I guess Kiebert Ruiz is not a rookie, 
anymore. He is not rookie <laughs> eligible, even though uh, some sports books assumed that he was. <laughs> Got to read so... your September roster rules, friends. You <laughs> do that, and you don't you don't uh, issue betting slips that you can't honor. I guess that makes him eligible for breakout pick yeah. if you want to go that way. Yeah. But maybe you have another idea. Yeah, no, I think Ruiz. I'm intrigued to see uh, what we get from Josiah Gray, who's kind of in that same tier of uh, potential ability. It's mostly just it's an interesting position for the team, I think, in that like it is very obviously a rebuild, and yet you can tell that they're targeting a shorter term for that with the players they acquired last year. And so I am curious to see how much of that like. This year is going to be terrible, but I'm curious of how much we'll see of like, oh, like here are the players that can give you a little bit of hope, like looking ahead. I'm curious if we, how much we see of, of that category. Yeah. Can I share a not fun fact from the yet to be published positional power ranking summary? Sure. That relates directly to the nationals. I think that I have this right. You'll you'll have to forgive me if some of this shifts around a little bit in case you know teams decide to know, tr- trade Jose Ramirez in the time between when we record <laughs> and when the the PPR goes live. But the nationals at this moment are the only team to have both a 30th and a first place finish in the positional power rankings. To be clear, they have three 30th place finishes, but they are, as do the Rockies, but they are the only team that has even one 30th place finish and a first place finish. You you can probably guess what the first place one goes yeah. to, but third base shortstop and left field uh, project to rate quite poorly for them. But I just think that dichotomy is interesting and a perfect expression of where this roster is. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's star and scrubs at this point. <laughs> you at least want stars to be plural when you have that kind of roster. And I don't know that they're there much as Nelson Cruz might try. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's so many like castoffs from other organizations or guys who you're like, he's still around. Like, I see this Escobar still in the majors, back in the majors. And then, you know, like Michael Franco and like. Victor Robles, will he ever hit? Seems unlikely at this point. And Carter Keyboom, will he ever potentially hit? So, like, they still have some guys who are just kind of left over. And it's like, well, if they could finally make some strides, that would be nice. And maybe this is kind of a a make-or-break year for them. So... That's a storyline to pay attention to, I suppose, and just the health of Strasbourg and just enjoy Nelson Cruz and his uh, continued pursuit of 500 homers and the fountain of youth and just marvel at Juan Soto. And I guess the question is just like, how good is he? How good can he possibly be? Can he maybe be better than he already was? That seems inconceivable. He's been the best hitter in baseball for the past couple of years. He's just like on almost a, a Bonzian level late last year where there was no particular reason to pitch to him. And, you know, he's not going to go outside his zone to make it easy for you. So the fact that they got Nelson Cruz maybe means that he will walk and be intentionally walked a, a little less than he would be otherwise. I mean, he was quote-unquote protected by Josh Bell for much of last season, and there just wasn't a whole lot of reason to pitch to Juan Soto. So if you're interested in like his MVP candidacy, I guess that and the fact that this team isn't going to make the playoffs could hurt him, but 
He is, I believe, projected to be the most valuable player, the the tops, according to Fangraph's war, and he is still just 23. So normally with a 23-year-old, or often at least, maybe not in this era, but historically speaking, you would project them to be even better and say, well, they're not even at their prime yet. I don't know whether you can make that assumption for Soto, who has been so historically great at early ages, but it is tantalizing to think of him somehow reaching a higher level or even just sustaining his second half level from last year or his level from the abbreviated 2020 season over a full 162 game season. That would be something to see. Yeah. It's also, it just seems impossible. Like it is very hard for me to imagine like this a bit better, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a fun, a fun challenge, especially with everything around him. Um, Right. So, and I guess there's also the question about whether you can sign him to an extension, right? So he is uh, not slated to hit free agency until 2024. He is, of course, represented by Scott Boris, who I think has said that he would not entertain the idea of signing a long-term extension unless he's in a position to think that the team will win consistently. And I don't know that this season will be a great argument in favor of that. The Nationals did sign his brother this year in January. They signed his his younger brother, Elian Soto, which I guess that's one way to maybe kind of convince him to stay around, just like sign his family members. So that's uh, something. He was 16 years old when they signed him. So, hey, Juan, you, you got to stick around for several years just to, to see if <laughs> Elian Soto pans out and then you guys could be teammates. Maybe that argument will work on him. But yeah, like somehow you have to convince him hopefully that even though the nationals are not good now that they will be good at some point and whether that is other promising rookies coming up and i don't know what candidates there are internally or whether it is just opening up the wallet at some point this coming off season or the following off season which i think that they would be willing to do but they do have to have a core in order to make that worthwhile and i don't know that soto Ruiz and Gray is is enough on its own, so they have to find a few more guys somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the amount of work that needs to go into this roster, I don't know, like like I've said, they have shown a capacity to sort of get good stuff out of veterans, although to Emma's point, maybe that capacity is newly (laughs) diminished. Just let them have it. Let them have that. They have so little right now. But like, it is a pretty complete job. I mean, outside of Soto and... Ruiz and I guess Gray, like, who are you really looking to on this team to be part of the next great Nationals group? Like, mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of obvious names. Yeah. Yeah. I really feel like it's uh, just most striking as a, like, one of those, like, want to feel old tricks of, like, this is what 2019 National, like, look how far they've degraded in this much time. Like, it's like a yeah. weird mental trap, and I don't like it. <laughs> you, you you think the thing about the Nationals that is going to make people feel old is that and not the fact that Juan Soto is still just 23? <laughs> well, it's a lot of stuff to choose from, yes. <laughs> 23, man, like, I, wow, wow. Yeah. All right, well, I believe we have previewed the NL East and we have completed our preview of the 2022 season. We've talked about every division 
This has been fun. I know we didn't have a chance to do our full 30-team slog through every team, so we didn't get into every roster with the level of detail that we traditionally do. But I feel like this high-level overlook worked out fairly well under the circumstances. I enjoyed it. Nice to have uh, six super long episodes instead of 15, (laughs) just from a hosting and production standpoint, if not from a listening standpoint, possibly from a listening standpoint as well. Anyway, thank you very much, Emma, and everyone should read Emma regularly at Sports Illustrated and find her on Twitter at Emma Bachelary, which has two M's and two C's and two L's and also two R's and two A's but <laughs> and two E's, but only a few of them are consecutive. It's complicated. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Uh, look at the podcast description and, and you will see how it's spelled thank you emma thank you for having me and next time we talk meg i guess it will be after the start of the 2022 mlb season i can't yes. wait all right so we'll talk to you all probably right after opening day so please enjoy it we will All right, that will do it for today. Thanks again to everyone for following along with the podcast throughout the offseason, throughout the lockout, throughout this preview series. I can't say that every second of this MLB offseason has been fun and joyous, but we have tried to keep the podcast fun for you as you have kept it fun for us. And we hope it has helped you stay engaged with the sport, even during a time when nothing was happening, because it has served that function for us. That said, we're happy that it's about to be opening day. As I record this outro, there are Jose Ramirez trade rumors circulating, but if something develops on that front, we will have to cover it next time. And our tentative plan is just to sit back and relax and enjoy opening day along with all of you, and then probably reconvene on Friday for some opening day reactions and impressions, and banter and discussions of whatever news has transpired in the interim. In the meantime, you can support Effectively Wild on Patreon, Help us keep doing this for yet another season. Help us stay ad-free and get yourself access to some perks, including a Patreon-only Discord group and monthly bonus pods. I know there's some fun plans in store for the Discord group in-season, game threads and various widgets about the day's games, etc. A bunch of people have joined up lately with the season about to start. The following five people have already signed up and pledged some monthly or yearly amount. Keith Teeple, Joe Hartley, Kevin King, Tom M., and Tyler Nolan. Thanks to all of you. You can contact me and Meg via email at podcast at fangraphs.com. You can also message us via the Patreon site if you are a supporter. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. And as already noted, we will be back with one more episode a little later this week. So enjoy opening day, rejoice in opening day, and we will be back to talk to you soon. I'll dream of waking up with you in your house And they called me loser and they called me worse But every name that they called me I called myself first And I'm going somewhere I ain't been So let me begin